No, he, he had his chance last week. Okay, so Col Colossians 3 is where we're going to be tonight. We've, we've been in a kind of a three-week series. This is the third week on the gospel. Uh, we set out because we wanted to clarify um, what the gospel is. We wanted to clarify and, and bring conviction to why the gospel, why Jesus would die in our place for our sins and conquer death so we can have life in Him now and forever. Um, and so we believe that is because of the glory of God, that Jesus did all that for His own glory. Because when He's glorified, um, our lives bring, are fulfilled. Our lives all of a sudden have purpose and meaning um, the way God created us. And, and He made it possible for us to have a relationship with Him. And so we sat out, we, we decided to pick um, kind of a jump in the middle of Colossians and, and talk through what's going on. And so, we, so for those of you who are new, this is a little bit of, this is what we do. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach through the text, um, kind of walk down through it verse by verse. And then Drew's going to, we're going to take a little break. Drew's going to get up and kind of talk from the more of a theological picture, more of a bigger picture, uh, applicational um, uh, point to it. So um, that's how we do things. And so we want to give you a little bit, a little bit of, a, uh, of an idea of what, what it's going to look like here on a regular basis. So last week, we ended in verse 10, in chapter 3, verse 10. We'll pick up today in verse 11. But, but really what I want to talk about is going to cover really most of th all of 3 and, and the first 6 verses of chapter 4. Um, because I want to point to what's hap what, what Paul's doing here. Uh, so I have this phrase um, that, that's been really ringing through my head over the last week. Is that new life in Christ. Okay, so X... Okay, I'm not crossing out Christ, okay? X is the first letter in, in, in Greek, okay? For, in Jesus' name, Christ's name in Greek is X, okay? So that's, so I'm not crossing out Christ. I love Jesus, trust me. Um, so that's just shorthand. Uh, so life, new life in Christ is hidden. So, so my life, those of you who place your faith and trust in Jesus, your life, think about this, is hidden in the one who reigns supreme over everything. Okay? So we're going to talk about what that means and why um, that matters. But this idea of being hidden in is, is a great word. It's describing, it's where we get the word encryption, actually, the, the original word. Um, it, it, is, it carries the sense that it, it's hidden. Like, like you, you can no longer see, we can no longer see ourselves. When we see Christ, all we see is Christ because we are hidden within Him. We are we are encrypted in. We are um, concealed within Jesus. And so that's what Paul says in, in 3 verse 3. Look at it. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He says, so focus on things above, not on earthly things. And that was last week. That was, that was the answer to, okay, what are we supposed to do? Because at the end of 2 he says, here's some things not to do. Don't do it this way. Don't do it the world way, world's way. Don't think about it the world's way. And then we're... We ask the question, okay, then what are, what are we supposed to do? He says, fix your eyes on Him. Um, you've been raised with Christ, so, so think about Him. Set your heart on Him. And, and, and what we talked about was how when we do that, the things of this world seem to lose their effect. They, they lose their grip. All of a sudden, we have less affection for the things of this world and a greater affection for Jesus when we keep our eyes focused on Him, when we recognize that our life in Christ is hidden in Him. And He reigns supreme over everything. So think of, any, think of anything and everything. And Jesus reigns supreme over that. And so that's where life and transformation takes place, is, is recognizing that, living in that, walking in that. But then Paul says, but don't just stop there. There are some things you're going to have to do. You're, there's some things you're going to have to put to death, and there's some things you're going to have to put on. And so uh, I'm going to draw this umbrella because I want you to see that that didn't work too well. Um, that Paul is going to say, he says, put off earthly. Okay? And he has a list of, of some things he says to put off earthly. He says, sexual sins, idolatry, Um, anger, and I'm going to put mouth sins. 
Because he talks about lying to, he talks about gossiping, he talks about all these things, and so I'll kind of fit it in that in that category. Um, so here's what I want you to see. This this is going to be true. This right here is what I would call what we call an indicative statement. Okay, it's an indicative statement. It's a statement about about something. Um, and and you'll you'll see in the in the the letters of Paul, especially in the letters of the New Testament, you'll see these indicative statements, who God is, who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and then statements about who you are now because of that. So those are big statements. And then you'll see um, imperative commands, important commands. So indicative statements about who God is, who Jesus is, what He's done, who we are, and then commands now. Okay, based on that, here's what you do. He says, put to death sexual immorality. Put to death idolatry. Put to death these other things. And, and all of those things are connected to something bigger. See, when most of us who were raised in church, we were taught not to have sex outside of marriage. Here's, here's, we're taught not to do it because... Why? Huh? It's icky. It's icky. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay, I'll put that as one icky. Um, that you'll you'll get a disease. You may die. Um, you, you'll get somebody pregnant, or you'll get pregnant, and your life will be over and ruined. And so, scare tactics actually become the way we talk people out of doing bad things. The Bible never never does that. Actually, the Bible actually these things are always connected to bigger truths about who God is about who Jesus is, about what He's done, and about now who you are in Him. And so because my life is now hidden in the One who reigns supreme over everything, it's not my life anymore. It's His life. The sooner you as a, as a believer wrap your, your, your brain around this and, and, and commit to this idea that, that your life is not your own anymore, you are bought with a price. That's 1 Corinthians 6. He says, so therefore honor God with your body. That's how it goes on. But this idea that it's not your life anymore. You don't get to do whatever you want to do because your life is hidden in the one who reigns supreme over everything. And so these things become important. Not just because this isn't who we are anymore, but they also affect the community, which is where we're going. So he, he also says to put on some other things. So this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time. And these would be godly things. Uh, so list. So I need somebody to read. Actually, we're going to start verse 11. Brianna's going to read verse 11 through 14, please. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against them. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity. Okay. So what are some things? I'm going to come back to verse 11 here in a second and explain what that's talking about. But what are some things he says to put on, starting in verse 12? Say that again. Bowels of mercy, you know, King James Version, okay. Uh, uh, I'm not writing bowels of mercy. <laughs> All right. I'll put compassion. Uh, okay, what else? Patience. Gentleness. Humility. Okay. Okay. Uh, Okay. Uh, what else was there? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Bearing with one another. I think I missed one. Gentleness. Gentleness I have. Patience. Compassion. Kindness. Okay. He says, bear with. Bear with one another. Forgive. Forgive one another. All of this. Then he kind of sums it up and says, and, and okay, okay, here's all these things. I don't think this is an exhaustive list. Um, for the most part, these words mean the same thing that we that in, in our day that they meant that, there. So I'm not going to spend time explaining each of these words. But 
Paul does something kind of interesting. He says, love, actually, you do all these things, but by the way, love really does bind them all together. It, in, in other words, love kind of makes these things, binds them into perfection is kind of the idea. Brings them all together. So, love. So what's interesting about this is that, like Drew said in, in our table group meeting at 7, um, that you can't be a Christian. You actually can't live out these things by yourself. You can't learn patience sitting in your room eating Cheetos, is what he said. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't live these things out. You can't grow in these things. You can't practice these things in a vacuum by yourself. And so all of these things are in the context of church. Okay? Which brings me back up to, to verse 11. Um, which is a which is a great verse, kind of introducing this section. This is what Paul's really getting at: is the, like these things matter. Doing these things and doing these things, not doing these things, and doing these things matters because it affects the body. So he goes, "Here's who the body is," and he says, "It's no longer Jew and Greek. It's no longer two different um, religious groups, or or uncircumcised and, and circumcised." He says, "They're one and the same." Like, there's no, the religious barrier is broken. And then he goes on and he says, um, barbarian, Scythian, slave. Actually, he's, he's using those three words to describe essentially the same thing. Barbarian, actually, funny, it's an interesting word. In Greek, it sounds like somebody's, say, it sounds like somebody's making fun of the group of, group of people this is actually talking about. Um, when we think of barbarian, we, we actually think a little more maybe derogatory than, than Paul meant. Paul has used this word in other places and he doesn't mean it derogatory every time, but but the word is the word sounds like barbarar. That's kind of what it sounds like. And so it's 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 describing somebody who is um, maybe not great in speech or not educated and um, kind of low class. And then a Scythian was known as this this nomad group that up from the north and a lot of them became slaves. And so he kind of lumps the barbarian, Scythian, slave into this one group and free. Those who are well-to-do, those who have paid for their own freedom, those who, who can kind of do whatever they want, who are educated. And he says, in Christ, we're one and the same. And so what, what Paul's after uh, in these verses is unity in diversity. Which we hear and we go, yes, of course, but but culturally back then, this was huge. Um, this just doesn't happen. In 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 Ephesians, it talks about how how the gospel has broken down the barriers now, and that was big for them. You, I mean, Jews did not associate with anyone, did not associate with with Samaritans, did not associate or go into people's houses that were not um, of the same religion. And and Paul says, no, no all that has to end. Because in Christ, um, they're one and the same. Christ is in all and is all. Um, so, so that's what he's after, and he says love. But we, we need to keep going, and I and I think I think there's a there's a question that we need to ask. Okay, love, but how? Okay, how do we do this? How do we show love? I know we we've, we've given these things. And he goes on. Uh, read 15 through 17. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Okay. That was through, yeah, through 17. So, he says, how do we love? He says, let the peace of Christ rule. Um, I, this this word rule is, is kind of this word um, um, umpire over or um, determine or control, uh, and so he's saying, 
here's how you live this out. You let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which we need to ask the question, well, how? How do we do that? Um, which he goes on and he says, how do you do that? Is you let the word of Christ dwell. Because when wherever the word of Christ dwells, the same word for dwell is used in 2 Timothy that talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So it's, it's just, and there's no other way to explain it. It dwells, it lives inside, dwells inside. He's saying when the, when the word of Christ dwells, the peace of Christ rules in your life. So think about that. When the word of Christ dwells in your life, the peace of Christ rules, governs, controls, determines the things that you think about, the things that you do. The, the Word of Christ is the Gospel of Christ, the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus. When that begins to dwell in you and internalize and integrate it into the fabric of who you are, there's a trust in knowing that Christ is in control, knowing that my life is hidden and the one who reigns supreme over everything. So why would I be worried about anything? Why would I be scared of, of things in this world when, when my life is hidden in Him? When He's in control of everything, um, i got nothing to fear. Because when the Word of Christ dwells, the, the peace of Christ rules. But how do we, how do, we do this? How do, how do we let the, the Word of Christ dwell? He goes on and he says, We... teach each other we warn each other this is one we're not good at uh, this morning our leaders got together uh, we, we get together and pray every morning every Thursday morning at 7 and uh, one of the things we were talking through and praying through today was was how Jesus is both lion and lamb and he's this beautiful picture it says in John 1 he came full of grace and truth and, and we, need, we need truth that's taught, and we need to warn each other when we start to step away and turn from the things that that aren't us. And so we need to do those things. We need to teach each other, warn each other. We need to sing and worship together, which is actually we're going to do this tonight later. We need to do this because those these things produce. What does it say? What does it produce when we do these things? Or how should we do this? How should we sing and worship? With gratitude, with thanksgiving. You're going to see that word three times in our section. The thanksgiving becomes a very natural and normal thing that flows out of a, out of a person's life where the word of Christ dwells and the, and the peace of Christ rules. And he says, actually... Just do all of this. Do everything for Jesus. See, when, when, when all of a sudden your day becomes about how do I make His name great? How do I grow an affection for Him? Um, what does He want me to say and do? How do I do everything in His name today? Then, then I think we naturally, normally begin to teach and to warn and to worship and to praise and to, to grow in gratitude together. I think we naturally uh, let the, the, the Word of Christ dwell in us, which allows the peace of Christ to rule over our attitudes and our actions. And, and then love is what flows naturally from that. And he says it again um, at the end of 17 giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So, making Jesus' name, uh, doing everything in Jesus' name, and then giving thanks to God um, for everything. Okay? So, he, he does that, and then he goes on to explain a little more of what this means to have new life in Christ in different areas. And so I need you to read uh, 18 through 21. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 
Husbands, love your wives and don't become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Okay. Um, I, I just realized I didn't say something up here that I want to point out. Up at the beginning, he says, again, this, the, the, he says uh, indicative statements about who we are, and everything else flows kind of from this. And he says that put on these things, those of you who are godly, uh, he says, who are God's chosen, holy, and loved people. Like when we recognize that we are God's chosen, holy, and loved people, then these things begin to kind of flow from who we are. And, and it flows right into our home. And he says, wives, submit. He says, husbands, love. He says, children, obey. He says, parents, um, encourage. Again, all of these, all of these are imperative commands connected to an indicative statement about who we are, an indicative statement about how God loves us and, and what He thinks of us. And so, why wouldn't we do these things? In in Paul's culture, Paul's culture would hit would would hear these things backwards comp compared to the way we see them. We get bent out of shape about the word submit, and we go, oh, husbands love? Uh, yeah, duh. Of course they should. You know, That's kind of a natural. But wives submit? Ooh, that's a scary one. I don't know about that. What does that mean? What do you mean by submit? See, in Paul's culture, this one would have been the big one. Loves, husbands love? What? Really? <laughs> See, and wives submit? Yes, of course. That, that's, a very, that's an obvious. And that would have—that's how it would have been taken. See, in the church, it was uh, the husbands were to be different than the rest of the world. They were to love unconditionally, not based on, not based on what their wife did or didn't do. And likewise with the wife, its submission is an issue of respect, which men desperately, desperately need. It's like air to us. And so he's—he's he's giving them something that is both good for them, and also it's a—it's a response of what Christ has done for us. All of us are called to submit to Him, no matter who we are. All of us are called to submit to each other. It says that in Ephesians 5.21. So all of us, if we are a Christian, we are in a place of submission already. That should be a natural, normal thing that we do. And love unconditionally. Parents, so He says, kids, obey. Parents, encourage. Don't, don't exasperate. Don't, don't keep on your kids. Okay, this, is an, this is a way to live out who we are in Him. And then he goes to work. So read 22 through 4, 1. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically, as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favor to him. Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Okay. I put work there because the, the context of what Paul is describing is more of a work, more of an employee-employer relationship. Not, not perfectly, um, but more so than what we, we, we hear the word slave, we think, human trafficking. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. Oftentimes, slaves or bond servants were people that said, "Hey, um, I, I'm going to I'm going to put myself under you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to become your bond servant to pay off my debt." A lot of a lot of slaves and bond servants owned land and had their own slaves and bond servants as they were paying off certain debts and, and doing certain things. And so, so we 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 hear that term and we get lost in it. But what Paul's describing is would have been radical um, um, for. For these people again if you are in Christ it's not your life anymore and, and you entered into this relationship with Christ in a position of submission and so as as an employee as a bond servant you are called to uh, what does he say called to obey with sincerity 
not not people pleasing, but sincerity. Um, so he says, obey. It says work hard. Okay. So hopefully you're picking up on issues at work that that you should be challenged to do. Um, work hard, not just not just work hard for your for your master, but work hard as if you're working for Jesus. So he says. So just because your employer isn't looking, Jesus is looking, and work as if he's watching. Work as if you're working for him. He says, work hard. Um, serve. Okay, and then, and then he goes on to describe to masters, and he says to them, be fair, be just, and he says something interesting. Um, it says, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Again, hey bosses, hey masters, um, your life is hidden in the one who reigns supreme over everything. And so therefore, you must uh, remember who you're working for. You must remember you are a, a bondservant. You must remember you entered into this relationship in a place of submission to what God wants you to do, not what you want to do. Okay, and then we go on to the last few verses, uh, verse four or chapter four, two through six. Go ahead. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the message, to speak the mystery of the Messiah, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Okay. Okay. So, Paul kind of gives some final remarks, and and I'm going to put put it as, as kind of how do they live out this faith outside of um, church, outside of the home, outside of work? Like, when they're out and about, how do they live this out? And Paul gives some specific things. He says, says to pray, says to watch, watch in thankfulness. There's that word again. Uh, it's a very, very big, big theme. Thankfulness should be something that overflows when the word of Christ dwells and the peace of Christ rules. And he says, declare Jesus. Like th this is big for Paul. If you if here if you want something an interesting study, if you want to know what Paul prays about, okay, um, for a month, journal your prayers, and then and then read Paul's prayers in the New Testament. Every everywhere Paul prays, and write down what the things that you notice him praying about. It's an interesting. I think you'll notice that Paul Paul is passionate about something. He's passionate about sharing the gospel. He's passionate about um, the gospel spreading and, and Jesus being declared and, and witnessed to. And so this is big for him. He says, show wisdom with outsiders. Let your speech be watched, be seasoned with salt. Again, we, we can connect here to here. Um, so what we say, how we talk, um, how, what our attitude is, all those things matter because we're reflecting the one our life is hidden in. Um, there should be a difference in this world. Um, com com from us compared to how the rest of the world talks, there should be a difference. So, uh, that, that's kind of it. We're going to take a little break. I want you to be thinking about what this means. Like, How, how, does, how do we live out the gospel? Last, first week we talked about what it is and why. Last week talk, we talked about how we grow, how the gospel grows us. And, and so today we're going to talk a little bit more about how the gospel is lived out among us. So we're going to take a couple minutes. If you need to use the restroom, stand up, stretch. Go ahead and do that. And then Drew will get back up here. Okay. So here we go. I want to dive in real quick. We have been, we've been talking, as, as Scott mentioned, 
We've been talking these three weeks about the gospel. Next week, I don't know if he said it. Next week, we dig in, we jump into Hebrews. Okay, so hope you guys are excited about that, and we'll get there. But um, we really have enjoyed doing gospel stuff. First week, what the gospel is, and kind of the the one of the major components that the gospel saves us. Second week, last week, that the gospel grows us by supplying us with both the power and the motivation for change, both the power and motivation. For growth that's what we talked about so here is kind of and, and we actually hit on this idea that um, change is not necessarily defined by growth is not defined by um, greater levels of morality okay um, avoiding certain bad behaviors we, we talked about this doesn't necessarily mean you're growing in fact it's possible to become more moral and be further away from Jesus at the same time that's possible. Um, and so that can't be our gauge to know how we're growing. That makes things complicated because that's actually, that's technically, if we're, if we're, if we're being honest, that's, that's the easiest way to gauge it, right? Is like how many bad things have I done this week? And was that more or less than I did the week before? And that's how I know if I'm growing or not. Am I doing more bad things or am I doing less bad things? And, and that's, that's the simplest way. And I'm not saying that that's not some bit of a gauge for us. That, that is helpful okay but it can't be that exclusively so this is the question we're going to wrestle with t tonight and i want you to be thinking about how do we gauge gospel growth how do we know that the gospel is having effect on us how do we know that we're becoming more christ-like that we're changing that real growth is taking place in our lives theologians um, have noted that that as Christians, we believe in a Trinitarian God. That is three persons in one God. And theologians have noted that if that is the case, um, if God is triune, um, more than one within the one, okay, then there are certain heavy implications for the rest of our lives when it comes to that. There are certain heavy philosophical and practical applications for a triune God as opposed to just one. Um, one of the major things is this. If it's true that God is three persons living in perfect relationship, living in self-giving love, then that means at the center of the universe is self-giving, loving relationship. That's, that's at the core of what reality is. Which would mean this, that the fabric of life is relationship. If if If... God, if everything that the universe flows from is a relationship between these three persons, self-giving love, then that means that, um, that, that means that the fabric, what everything else is made up of, ought to be relationship. That's why, that's why children who, who are born and, and don't have parents who end up in, in maybe some sort, of, um, uh, some sort of orphanage where they don't receive nurture or care, that's why they don't develop properly. Because relationship is at the core of who we are. It's why people who grow up and increasingly focus only on themselves and turn inward become less and less human, if you will. Become more and more destructive to themselves because they weren't made to focus in on themselves. They were made in the image of God and God brings perfect relationship to that, to, to the table. And so that's what it ought to be. I'm, now, I'm not saying that relationship is at the center of the universe, Okay. God is at the center of the universe, but God is, right, relational within himself. Obviously, God is the most important thing. The most important thing in life is not relationships. God, Christ is the most important thing. But when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment, what does he say? Okay, he does not say, well, it's, it's making sure that you avoid this behavior for God. God is most important, and so avoid this behavior for God. Do this one thing for God. You know, what, what Jesus says is the most important is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. It is, having, it is a right, loving relationship with God is, is, is what is most important. And the second he says is like it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, I'm not downplaying morality or ethics. Those are important things, but recognize that those are actually only branches of the relationship question. The reason greed is wrong is not because, well, greed is just a bad thing. Greed is wrong because it's a confession that God is not enough for me. That my relationship with Him isn't satisfactory enough, that I need something else. And so it's a damaging 
thing to that relationship. And greed is wrong because in order to feed that level of greed, you're going to have to exploit other people. You're going to have to put yourself before them. And so it damages those relationships. That's why relationships are so crucial. And that's where ethics come into play in there. So relationships are the best barometer of whether or not you are growing in the gospel. Relationships are the best barometer of whether or not you're growing in the gospel. And, and Paul, in this text that we just read, in um, the end of 3 and into 4, Paul hits on the three major categories of relationship that the church will deal with. Um, I guess you could technically say the, three, the only three categories in some sense, um, depending on how you want to define stuff of, of relationship that we'll deal with. So he talks through all of these. The first one um, that we get to see here is he talks about our relationship with God. Okay, we call this for the kind of for the sake. I want to give you some some um, words to help you remember. Um, and these are these are not ours. These are stolen from a, a group called 3DM. But up. Okay, our relationship up. Paul actually much of the beginning of Colossians is about. Um, about our relationship with God. It's about Jesus and all that he is, but then what he does for us. Um, that you were at one time uh, alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Okay, so he has reconciled you. It's the up relationship. He's brought you to him. And then the very first verse that we read when we started studying this in Colossians 2, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him or to walk in him. And it says rooted and then built up in him, our up relationship. This is where Paul puts a lot of his focus. In our text here, he talks about it like this. In the context of church, this is what our up relationship looks like, 16 and 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So up, the church ought to be relating to God. They ought to be hearing from Him through His Word. They ought to be living in a, a relationship of gratitude and thankfulness to Him and individual Christians as well. That's what we ought to be doing. Now sandwiched around this, he talks about the next category of relationships and that's what we're going to call in. Okay, um, and this is relationships with in the church, with other believers, with other Christians. First, Paul mentions in uh, verses 12 through 14, he, he mentions kind of the traits of inward love. That is, um, love aimed towards each other. We ought to be um, compassionate. We ought to be kind towards one another. We ought not to lie to one another. We ought to, he says, forgive one another. And over all of these, put on love. These are kind of the traits and attributes, or at least a sample of what love within the church, within the body of Christ ought to look like. And then he jumps uh, on the other side into verses um, uh, 3.18 through 4.1, and he starts talking about practically every day, this is what it's going to look like. Husbands, you need to love your wives. In your everyday relationships, let me show you. Wives, you need to submit to your husband's children. You need to obey your parents' slaves masters and, and he goes into all this stuff practically this is what it looks like now most likely paul kind of still has in mind when he's talking about those relationships um people within the church christian husbands love your christian christian wives he's probably still thinking about that but i know paul has a recognition that it's not for every person in that church not all of those relationships are christian ones that there are going to be wives in there with non-Christian husbands and, and slaves with non-Christian masters. And, and I believe that he would say the exact same thing to them, that they ought to love those ones too, which leads us to the third category that we get to, and that is out. That is loving those, loving those outside of the body of Christ. Okay, So up, in, and out. This is where we want to focus on. He gets um, explicitly there in chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Um, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So outwards, we have to love those outside of the church. This is kind of the categories up, in, and out. Um, maturity and growth in the Christian life. Gospel growth is to be measured by these three categories here. Okay, Am I growing, am I increasing in my love in these three areas? Okay, that's the bet. You want to know if you're growing or not. This is the this is the question to ask. Am I increasing in my love for God? Am I increasing in my love for the church? And am I increasing in my love for non-believers, for those outside the church? But here's kind of the the deal. Most of us don't do real well in all three of these areas. In fact, they'll say that that naturally, actually, most churches and and most individuals end up with um, what what we maybe call like a two-dimensional love, okay? And that is that that most churches and most of us tend to um, have one area of weakness, tend to do better in two areas um, and and have one that kind of falls short. And so I want to kind of talk to you about what those areas would look like real quick. Um, The first one we call up and in. Okay. Um, this is those who do well in, in, in seeking to love God and, and do well when it comes to the church and community, but not so well here. These people or these churches, you can kind of throw substitute either in there, are marked by love for um, vibrant worship. Okay, they love a good, solid worship service. They love to hear um, sermons, to hear good preaching. Um, they, they, they love getting involved in community and small groups. And a church might have a small, small groups uh, program. Or if it's an individual, maybe it's you. And this, maybe I'm describing you right now. You love getting involved in small groups of community, in church events like the picnic that we're doing on Sunday, where we're just going to get together and hang out. People in this category love this. Now, let me, let me just clarify, okay? By up and in, I, I, I don't mean that these people like cool music, okay? And I don't mean that they like hanging out with people, that they're people people, if you will. Because I think there's a lot of us who think that we're doing really good here because we like cool music. Or because we like funny preaching or engaging preaching. And so because we like to go hear awesome music being sang and listen to a good preacher, we consider ourselves to be doing really well here. Or because we, you know, we like hanging out with people, we consider ourselves to be doing well here. That's not the definition of up and in. The definition is as Paul describes it that I am continually focused on God and His Word, that I am continually hearing from Him and speaking to Him in prayer, that I'm building that relationship. And, and, and the words that Paul uses to describe community, compassion, kindness, you're described as in, not because you like people, but because you're willing to forgive those who wrong you. Because you're able to put those needs in front of you. This is up and in. The problem, of course, with this is that people or churches that look like this lack the missional heart of Jesus. Okay? Strong in these first two areas, which is great, but tend to lack the missional heart of Jesus. So here's another category. That would be up and out. Up and out, and these are those again who, who love good teaching. They love to sit and hear the word spoke to them, or churches that focus heavy on teaching and preaching, and, and, and they care a lot about the lost, reaching out to them. You may see churches that do a lot of missions trips. Maybe that's you. Maybe it takes you more than one hand to count how many different missions trips you've been on. Or churches that are big into service projects and being involved in these kinds of things. They are concerned with how they can share the gospel with those around them, up and out. Um, And again, I I will say this, just to kind of clarify, up and out, the fact that you relate well to lost people doesn't mean, because I've I've talked to a number of people who say things like, you know, I just find that I relate better to non-Christians than to Christians. Like, I just connect with them, but I'm more comfortable around non-Christians than Christians. First of all, that probably shouldn't be the case. Okay, like you, there is nothing, there, you have nothing in common with non-Christians that is deep and as profound and as real as what you have with Christians. That is Jesus himself, right? And, and so 
technically, overall, like if, if, if your life is one where it's just like, I just enjoy being around non-Christian, it's okay to have some non-Christian friends that you're really close to in those things. But if you just overall enjoy that above being with God's people, then that may be something that's wrong there. Okay, but again, liking being around lost people isn't the same as what Paul talks about, looking for opportunities, letting your conversation be always um, seasoned and full of grace so that you may know how to respond in any, any given situation, praying for opportunities to share the gospel, reaching out and helping those in need. That's what out means, okay? And the problem here is that we lack Christ's love for his bride. And when you're in this, that you fail to have the same heart for his people and his bride that he has. Um, and then lastly, of course, is, is this one, and that is um, in and out. Um, these would be those people or those churches who love community and they love gathering together with those in the church and they also really care about those, particularly people in this, tend to care about the disenfranchised. Um, those who are maybe marginalized on the outside and they care a lot um, about reaching out to them. Probably those in this category spend less time worrying about gospel-type missions trips and more about um, service project things, charity work, working with the poor, working, okay, those things aren't, aren't, aren't necessarily bad, okay? This is just kind of tends to be this kind of church or this kinds of people. And hear me, okay? Um, yeah, these, this would be more about like social justice and stuff like that, uh, a lot of these types of uh, people. And, and hear me, I, I will say this, um, there are different levels and there's different spectrums. So I'm not putting everybody here in this category, but, but if, if, if a church is too far in this, then it's not actually a church. And if a person is too far in this, then they need to ask themselves if they're a Christian, if, if the love they lack the most, if the relationship they lack the most is that with God, okay? And so th that becomes a big one. And, and obviously, here's what happens here. This one loses um, missional heart. This one loses love for bride. This one loses the most important element and therefore weakens actually the only two that it has left. Because in and out, loving people within the church and loving people outside can't actually be done fully without a proper relationship with God. And so this is where it's, it's worth stating that these three things, even though we need to be growing in all of them, these three things are not equal. Okay? These three things are not all equally important and good. This one up is by far and away the most important of them all. And I would actually argue that these two things are not equal biblically, that one of them is definitely more important than the other. Um, but, but, but the up piece is what is so central to everything else that gets in there. Look, I want you to go back through and look at the text. So open it up. And, and Scott kind of touched on this, but this is so important, okay? Verse 12. Why is it that we clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness and, and uh, humility and gentleness and patience? What does Paul say? Why do we do that? Because we are dearly loved. Because we're God's chosen people. Why do we forgive one another? In verse 13. Because the Lord forgave us. Why do wives submit to their husbands? Okay, because it is fitting to the Lord, because Christ gave us an example. Why do husbands love wives? And it's not said here explicitly, but if you go to the twin letter to Colossians, which is Ephesians, and Ephesians 5 is almost identical to this little section here, and he says we love our wives in the same way that Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her to cleanse her, to make her holy. And so Christ becomes the motivations. Slaves or employ or children are to obey their parents because it pleases Jesus. We work hard for employers, Paul says, because we're not working for them. We're working for Jesus. And employers are supposed to treat their employees properly because they know that they have a greater Lord and master over them in Jesus. And so it, 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 to Paul, every aspect of our relationship with other people actually flows out of this relationship right here. It's this one that motivates. It's this one that moves us towards the other things. All of our relationships flow from that. And, and, and this is what we call, um, those of you guys who've been around, you know this, and um, we use this term around here a lot, integrated faith. This is what we call integrated faith. It is allowing my love for God to flow into every other aspect of my life. 
I love him so much that it moves me to these things. And not only does that love motivate me to other things, but the way I live my life is meant to be part of my loving relationship with him. So the way I go to class, as a student, I recognize, okay, when I'm, when I'm doing my schoolwork or, or when I go to my job or when I'm at home and interacting with my family, or out in the world, all of these things become means by which I try to love him. Okay? I want to serve him through those things. And all of those things I can only do properly if I am well connected to him and established with him. Up is where all of those things come in. I want to actually have um, John and, and the guys start, start to make their way up there um, or up here because, um, because there's no really better way to begin to kind of move into this. If we're going to talk about this is how you grow is these things. And you will never, ever grow in these things until you get this one right first. And so it makes sense that we would spend some time doing exactly what Paul talks about, focusing on our relationship with God and connecting to Him. Um, here's what I want to ask you, okay? And I'm actually going to give you a minute or two before we start singing to think about this, okay? Where are you weak? Which one of these is you? In what way are you two-dimensional? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here listening and, and the truth is you're one-dimensional. Um, maybe you might feel like zero-dimensional. Okay? Um, but this is the question I want to ask you. If you are, here, here's the cool thing. If you are convicted, if you look at one of these and go, man, that is me and I hate that and there's conviction in your heart, more than likely, that's God and His Spirit are working you. So here's the other cool part. Like, he's committed to helping you in that. And just like we said last week, okay, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work, but the answer is not just work alone. The answer is not work really hard. The answer is him. The answer is set your minds on him. The answer is come to him and say, God, I believe you're revealing this to me. I believe you want this kind of change in me. So, Lord, I'm trusting you to see that through. I'm trusting you, man. If, if I'm honest, I, I sat at this and, and, and realized that I'm at, at best two-dimensional and that, that in the one area where I'm weak or, or the area where I'm weakest, I don't even care that much. Like my heart feels almost cold towards it in some ways. And, and, and I had to confess to God and continue to confess to God that like I need you to, to do a work in me to, to stir up affection for it. But I, I know this, okay? If you just decide, I'm just going to work harder at this and I'm just going to get better and I will will myself to love his people more, I will will myself to love lost people, then, you've, then, then this whole series was a waste. Okay? All of this starts from knowing God. All of this starts from swimming in his word and letting the good news of the gospel ring true in your life every day. All of this starts from fixing your hearts and minds on Jesus and what he's done for us. And so as you spend just a minute or two, you and God talking through this, thinking through this, I hope that you set your minds on Jesus and not just on I'm just going to do better because it doesn't get us very far. So take a minute. Um, think through those things and then we're going to spend some time singing to God.